0: All right, let's continue in this great day. Would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? Gospel of Mark, we're going to be in chapter 8. We'll start in verse 22 today. Mark chapter 8, 22. The sermon notes are on your Nova Community Church app or at novachurch.org, and you can follow along there. We're continuing in our Lenten sermon series entitled The Season of Preparation. And we'll talk today about restoration. Restoration is our topic today. And I I hope you're following along in our uh, devotional, our Lenten devotional. And um, the way it works, and I think some of you who have been following along know how it works, that we were preaching on a topic on a Sunday, and then we'll read all about it for six days afterwards. And the people of Nova have written this devotional for you. And so it's not too late to jump in. You can get it at Novachurch.org. You can, you can get it on our, uh, on our Nova Community Church app. You can share it with friends. It starts tomorrow. Or you could give us your email address on a form at Novachurch.org, and it'll be sent to your email inbox. When you wake up in the morning, at two in the morning, those things get sent out. And uh, I wake up at two in the morning every morning and hit send on that. I'm super committed to it, so uh, anyways, it'll be sent to you. We wake up in the morning, and it'll be in your inbox, and what a great way to take in the devotional that way. You know, in Mark chapter 8, we find ourselves face-to-face with a restoration story, and it's one of the strangest stories in the New Testament. It's certainly one of the oddest miracles In the ministry of jesus and it's it's just like so baffling it's this baffling event in the gospel of mark and in the gospel of mark for the first eight chapters chapters one through chapter eight one question is being asked over and over and over and over and over again and the question is this who is jesus for eight chapters in the gospel of mark and here in the middle of, of the gospel of mark Peter gives his answer when he gets asked, who, who am I? Jesus asks him, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And what we'll do today is we'll give our attention to this healing miracle right before Peter's great declaration. And I'll, we'll talk about why it's where it's at. Um, this is the account today we're going to take a look at, at the restoration. It's the restoration of, of a blind man's sight, but it's more than a story of physical restoration. Let's read it right now. It's in Mark chapter eight, verse 22. Let me read it to you, and you can follow along in your Bibles. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, And put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. This is God's word for us today. Now this story, it begins normally enough, but the longer it goes, the stranger it gets. And Jesus and his disciples, they come to Bethsaida. And the people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him, to touch their blind friend. And at this moment, Jesus does the surprising He takes the blind man by the hand, he leads them out of the city, and then he spits and he touches his eyes. And this is not the strangest part, I don't think, about this healing miracle here. The odd part is not the way Jesus touches this man, it's what happens next. In verse 23, if you look at it, it says Jesus says something shocking. He says, do you see anything? It's a question you don't expect Jesus to ask. We expect him to make an authoritative statement at this point, um, that the man has in fact been healed, right? I mean, that's what you usually see. Instead, Jesus asks the man, get this, he says, do you see? As if to say, did it work? Right? It's strange. And this is strange for a number of reasons. First of all, Jesus usually knows when something works. After all, he is God. And it usually works. He doesn't have to ask, "Is this? did it work? And, and miracles are really not a problem for Jesus. What's even stranger than Jesus' question is the response from the man, from the blind man. In verse 24, Jesus it tells us that the man says, I see people and they look like, Right, it's it's a strange answer, and obviously something miraculous happened because this was a blind man, and Jesus touches the man to be healed, and he was healed, or was he healed? The man continues to say, "I see people, and they look like trees walking around." Now, if you're not wondering what the heck is going on here, um, I don't. I'm not sure if you really understand this this incredible account that mark writes in his gospel so jesus tries again which is unusual for him right he touches his eyes he the blind man says i see but i see something not clearly in verse 25 it tells us that jesus looked at the man intently and once more jesus put his hands he touched the man's eyes And at the end of the verse it says, And then he began to see everything clearly. The second work of Jesus seemed to fully heal this man. Now, why is this unique? This little story of the blind man's sight restoration put here in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8 in the Scriptures and right before Peter's great declaration of who Jesus is. Now this passage, this little healing miracle, tells us three things. The first, it tells us, who is spiritually blind? The second, it tells us, why are we blind? And the third is, how can we be restored? So let's take a look at these questions one by one. The first is, who is spiritually blind? Now the whole chapter is teaching us that we are, All of us are spiritually blind. In chapter 8, in the first 21 verses, it's all about the spiritual blindness of the disciples in verses 1 through 10, and then the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees in verses 11 through 21. The disciples and the Pharisees, they don't get what's happening here. And they don't get that Jesus is not just this great political leader that's gonna save the land, in verse 21, Jesus says, Do you still not understand? He's speaking of their spiritual blindness here. And so why does Mark, why does Mark put this healing miracle sandwich between the accounts of spiritual blindness in verses 1 through 21? And then on the other side of the sandwich or the other bookend, it's Peter's great declaration of who Jesus is. And right in the middle is this healing miracle, a strange one. Now, Bible scholars tell us why this healing miracle happens um, uh, before Peter answers the question of who is Jesus. And theologians and scholars, you can read 20 commentaries and they're all going to tell you the same thing. The first thing they're going to tell you is, why is this here? Number one is because it happened. Now that's, come on, give me a break, Bible scholars. I mean, but it, it really it, it really happened because they say if you were to tell stories to promote a movement why would you tell a story that looks like Jesus couldn't completely heal this man the first time right and why does mark bring it out here well this isn't just an account of a miracle a, a true account of a miracle that Bible scholars tell us this is a parable too now What is this parable teaching us is the great question. And Jesus here is teaching us about spiritual blindness. No one will have their spiritual sight restored until Jesus touches you, until you have an encounter with Jesus. And so the first lesson we could find here is everyone is spiritually blind. The disciples are, the Pharisees are. We read that in the first 21 verses of chapter 8. And then basically everyone is then if if disciples aren't pharisees are it's it's everyone is spiritually blind the second lesson is this spiritual blindness is deep it's intense it's deep it can take more than one touch to restore spiritual blindness and restoration of the man's sight restoration in general is spiritual blindness it comes in stages, or it comes in levels, or it comes in a process. And we're all, all of us here, all of you here in the drive-in, all of you here online are in a phase of having your sight, your spiritual sight cleared up. All of us are spiritually blind on some level. We don't yet all see clearly. That's what this is all about. We're all in this process. We're growing to see Jesus more clearly. So before we move on, I just want to, let's do just a quick uh, personal application. And this is it. Because we're all suffering from this spiritual blindness, we all don't see Jesus clearly. This is it. It's so important for all of us to be patient with others who are suffering from spiritual blindness and all of us need to be patient with those who are experiencing some form of lack of clarity spiritually so don't be judgmental and don't be judgmental for those who don't see as clearly as you do and don't be impatient and don't be irritable with others who are in the process of seeing Jesus clearly Because they're just growing spiritually, like all of us are growing spiritually. There's someone in your life that sees clearer than you spiritually. And there's someone in your life that doesn't see as clear as you do. And so our application today is, well, if spiritual sight is a gift from God, we must be patient and full of grace with others who are in the process of having their spiritual sight restored. And if you're judgmental, some of you are. And if you're grumpy, some of you are. And impatient and irritable with the partially blind, that too, your grumpiness and your judgment and your critical nature is a form of spiritual blindness. The paradox here is this. The way you know your spiritually sight is really clear is that you see how unclear you see. It's really what it comes down to. So if you're a growing Christian, if, if, you're a, if you are a growing Christian, your 10-year-from-now 10, 10 self will look back at your current self and say, oh man, you're so blind. Right? And you know what that means? You're blind today. Right? You're, you're, you don't see clearly today. And so meeting Jesus and having your life changed by Jesus is not the same as being religious. It's not the same as being um, spiritual. It's not the same as just being faith based. Tons of people are all around, all, not just here on the campus and not just watching online. They're your neighbors, your family, your friends, your co workers, people you go to school with. They're they're all thinking this. They're all thinking, you know what? I need to live a better life. I need to be better. They're all thinking, well, I think for the most part, people are thinking, I wish I prayed more. Or I should learn more about spiritual things or religion. Or I want to be more spiritual. All of those things, that's adopting a religion. You're still blind. Guaranteed, though, you know somebody. You have a friend, a neighbor, a family member, someone you go to school with that thinks that way, that, ah, I should be better. I should should do more good things. And God put you in their life to pray for them. God put you in their life to listen to them, to ask good questions, to introduce them to Jesus. And Easter is a great time. As the guys announced today, Easter's in a couple weeks from now. And and now is the time to invite them to a great Easter service on the lawn and on the plaza with an Easter egg hunt and a Hawaiian plate lunch afterwards or a hot dog. It can't get any better than that. And it'll help them get some spiritual clarity. So when someone meets Jesus, their sight can be restored and they could see Jesus clearly. We are all spiritually blind. Second point here. Second question is, what are we blind to? What are we blind to? Our spiritual blindness comes from our unwillingness to admit that we are blind. And it's humbling to admit that you can't see something clearly. It's blindness. And when we mess up in a relationship or we make a mistake at work or at school and when we're willing to admit that we're wrong then we might see clear because we've all learned lessons the hard way and it hurts and we've had to pay a price but hopefully when you learn a lesson the hard way your eyes get clear you your eyes get open and you say oh I can see clear now and you learn and you grow and you change but there is a route to all spiritual blindness and the claims of Jesus restore sight. Take a look at verse 27 in our text today. In chapter 8, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? And then later he asked, Who do you say that I am? You know what? No one ever talked like that. This, this is the difference between Jesus and all the other leaders of major religions. Muhammad never asked that. Buddha never asked that. Confucius never asked, who do people say that I am? They never asked that. But they, all the time, pointed people to God. They said, you must become more enlightened. Here's a pathway to know God. But they never asked, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in verse 28, they replied, these are the disciples, replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. You know, basically they were saying, hey Jesus, you're one of the best. You're one of the all-stars, Jesus. You're up there with Elijah and the the prophets and, and all these guys. And Jesus, he says, I have not come to show you how to save yourself or how to be good enough. I have not come to show you how to purify yourself or how to find nirvana. I have not come to show you this is the pathway to enlightenment. That's not why I've come, Jesus said. I've come to save you. I have not come to show you how to live a good life. I have not come for any of those things. I have not come to show you how to die a good death. Jesus said, I have come to live the life you should have lived but never will. And I have come to die the death that you ought to die in your place. Jesus did not come to point us to God. He is God, and he came to save you. In verse 29 of our text today, it says, What about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of Kings. It's a, it's, a, it's a great question to ask. What about you? Who do you say that I am? We had Asher and Audrey today say, Jesus Christ, he is my Savior. I profess him as my Lord. They answered that question, who do you say that I am? You see, we are all spiritually blind. And then we are all blind until we get a touch from Jesus. And the third question In our text today is how can we be healed how can we be healed of spiritual blindness well I I think it comes in in three ways first it comes in stages we talked a little bit about that or it's in a process second we're healed in community and third we're healed because of our faith it's very clear that Jesus heals the man in stages to let us know that our spiritual sight is commonly healed in process many Christians think I mean, uh, churches will, will kind of adhere to this too. There's a model of when someone meets Jesus and everything changes. And, and a lot of times we kind of think that way. And our model we read about it, is the Apostle Paul. Here's a dude that was leading people to murder and persecute Christians. And he's walking along the road, Damascus Road, and he gets struck, right? And and he and, and and Jesus comes and just touches him and he changes. One day he's murdering Christians and soon after he's preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, Christians and people and churches start to think that's the way conversion happens. You pray a prayer. You walk to the front. You do something and boom, everything changes. And we love those testimonies where someone is on a video or something and he said, man, I was an alcoholic and then Jesus touched me and I have no desire to drink anymore. And we go, oh, praise the Lord, that's so incredible. Someone else says, I was a gang member and I, you know, I did all these things and I committed crimes and then Jesus touched me and I left all of that behind and we're thinking, man, that's awesome and that's Jesus. And then we look at ourselves and most of us, We don't need to be cured of alcoholism most of us here we're not living a life of crime and so what about us and so in the bible and in some churches we have this uh we'll we'll call it a pauline model the the way paul got touched by jesus and he was just transformed now you read the new testament all the time paul saying you know, I'm growing, I'm learning, and I learned. I needed to learn to be content and all these things like that. But still, his conversion was radical. And most of us don't have a radical conversion. And so we think, is something wrong with me? And we sometimes forget that there's another model in the Bible, the model of Peter. And we read about Peter. And we're not even sure when Peter actually meets Jesus. I mean, there's not this some great declaration where he gets struck down. But we see Peter following Jesus. And he does some great things like he says, you are Messiah, you're the King of Kings. And it's a great thing. But then he makes a mistake again right after that. And most of us are like that. We kind of grow and then three steps forward, two steps back maybe. You know, we see Peter and he's... he's um, Learning, and then he makes mistake. He's growing, and he makes mistake. He's recovering. He's always growing, he's always learning, and he's always recovering. And most of us, I would have to say, don't follow the Pauline model of this walking down the road and then just getting struck and changed overnight. Most of us follow what we'll call the Petrin model, the model of Peter. There's a famous well-known uh, preacher named uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. And he preached a sermon on what I'm preaching today. And I read his sermon. He's not alive anymore, and, but I read his sermon, and he, this is what he did. He, he observed, he said, that many Christians were frustrated because they felt stuck between touches from Jesus. Interesting, huh, the way he says that. He says, many Christians get a grasp of the work of Jesus. They understand his sacrifice and his death and his resurrection. They get a grasp of the work of Jesus in their life but they don't get a grasp of the love of Jesus and so they feel stuck somewhere in between. Others were stuck between their rational claims of Jesus. They read the Bible, they read books and they study it and they believe that Jesus, all these things happen with Jesus but they don't have much joy in Jesus, and they, so f- they feel stuck in between. And Lloyd-Jones, he says, here's what I say to you who feel stuck here. He says, stop contemplating your navel so much. He says, and admit to Jesus that you just don't see clearly yet. And I love what he says. He says, what would happen if the blind man that Jesus... Uh, touched the first time in Mark chapter 8, and then Jesus asks him, do you see? What would happen if that blind man was like, yeah, I kind of see. And, and Jesus says, oh, okay, and he walked away. What would happen? that this, He didn't get that second touch where then he saw clearly. He said, Lloyd-Jones says, Imagine if this blind man didn't tell Jesus the truth. Because you're talking to the Savior, right? And if he says, are you healed? You kind of want to say, yeah, I I am kind of. But the blind man is honest. He says, if if the blind man didn't tell him the truth, Jesus would not have had to touch him again. And the blind man, Lloyd-Jones says, would spend the rest of his life talking to trees without a response. Do you get it? How do we be healed? We ask Jesus, would you come in and help me to see clear today? Second thing is, what's beautiful about this is, um, we are restored in stages or in a process, and the second is we are restored in community. Take a look at verse 22 here, and I love this, and I hope you love this like I love this, They came to Bethsaida, the disciples and Jesus. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. What great friends. What great friends. Do you have friends in your life? Do you have friends in your life who would beg on behalf of your healing? Because everyone needs friends like that in their life. If you don't see clearly Do you have friends that will bring you to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you help my friend to see clearer now? And that's why community is so important. That's why if you're watching online and you don't have a Christian community around you, that's why it's important for you to be here amongst us or to find Christian community somewhere in your life. And that's why it's so important for us to gather like we do. That on behalf of one another, that we would pray for one another and beg Jesus, would you help us grow spiritually? Would you help us to meet Jesus? Do you have a friend that you need to bring to Jesus? And let Jesus touch that friend. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You see, we're all restored in process or in, in, in stages. You know, it's, we're all growing to see clear. Second is we're restored in community where we need to pray for one another and beg Jesus on behalf of a clear spiritual sight for one another. And the third is we're restored when we are vulnerable and willing to admit our blindness. That's when we're restored. When we're willing to admit that we do not see clearly yet, that we are impaired in some way, then we're on our way to be restored. We're going to close with this prayer written by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church. And he writes this prayer, and and this prayer calls on God to restore the believers in Ephesus. And it's all about opening our eyes to see clear. Let's take a look at this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Amen.